How's it going though, mate? Yeah, all good, all good, all good. This is Omar Ahmed for IFL TV and Association MTK Global. With me via Zoom, we got there in the end, Mark. Uh, it's trainer Mark Tibbs, who's not in Portugal. I know you're in Portugal, you're back in London now. Um, how comes he came back, Mark? Well, um, we had, um, I've been out, I've been backwards and forwards a little bit too much now as uh, dates keep changing, but that's unfortunate. It's no one, no one's fault. It's just because of the times we're in. And uh, yeah, we had, um, I was working on the 1st of August from the 1st of August, but you know, uh, I think it got moved to the, to the 8th and uh, I believe now to the 15th. So, you know, I need to come back to see my son because he's started school and, um, and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, he's out there. Dillian's out there with a competent team with uh, Ruben Tabliaris and Peter Mascarpone, whatever his name is. Sorry, I hate to be rude there. French uh, Italian guy, very, very capable in what they're doing of. So they know not to overcook him. Simon Evans is running the sessions from Loughborough University. They're doing a good job. Michael Magic Hands. Uh, I love working with Michael. Yeah, he's a good guy. And uh, so, yeah, he's got a good good competent team out there and uh, uh, Zab, uh, boxing coach uh, from IQ Boxing, they're all, they're all uh, overseeing stuff and ticking him over. Seems like uh, a sensible decision Dylan made uh, at the start of this uh, lockdown period where he went to Portugal and kind of envisioned what was going to happen here because if he was stuck in London, he wouldn't have been able to get all this training in. Yeah, well, you know, we... Wherever we are, and Dillian himself, we've got contacts. He's got, uh, he's got, um, he's got the space to, to to do what he wants to do. If he was in England, and we would have done it, we would have got it done. But you know, Portugal is a perfect, perfect location. I've got to say for a training camp. Um, what I've seen of it, um, I've spent a week and a half, a couple of weeks there, is perfect and a great, uh, great location, great setup, great people. Over there, and uh, just it's just uh, this COVID's affected the world the way it's affected it, you know. But I think we can see light at the end of the tunnel now. I think so. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> Mark, before I come on to Povetkin and other fights that uh, Dylan could be in uh, in a boxing ring, let me ask you about all this talk with Francis Ngannou and Dylan possibly going to the UFC and then Ngannou coming to the ring to fight Dylan. I'm sure you've been keeping up and. Uh, looking at all, all the, the, the rumours about it and, and you spoke to Dylan about it, I'm guessing, as well, the Francis Ngannou stuff? No, I've not spoke to Dylan about it. Um, I don't know nothing about, with all due respect, I don't know nothing about MMA, boxing, to tell the truth, fighting. Um, it's, not my, it's not my scene, so I can't really speak on it. I mean, I haven't spoke to Dylan about it. First thing I knew about it was um, uh, Dylan's guy, uh, come up to me the other day in the gym in Portugal and said, uh, we're looking at fighting this guy, this uh, this Francis guy, uh, top MMA fighter. And uh, my reaction was, what is this, before Povetkin or after? <laughs> so so uh, he said, no, I'll show you it anyway. So I had a look at the guy on, on, uh, on, the, uh, on the phone on YouTube and, uh, yeah, he looks a little bit wild. It looks a little bit open, but it looks very, very tasty, I must say. But you know, I can't, uh, I can't com comment on a sport or a craft. I'm not uh, really uh, 
and, it, and you know, I'm not up to date with it. It's not my, it's not my thing. Uh, MMA fighting, it's a, it's a skill and it's a craft. And what I've seen of it, it is a skill and a craft and an art. So you've got to respect that. But um, I know nothing about MMA fighting. To the truth, I'm not going to make it. I do. Neither do I, to be honest, Mark. Um, in terms of Alexander Povetkin, do you think on paper this is Dylan's toughest test, apart from obviously the Anthony Joshua fight, but that was early on in his career. But in terms of your Rebasses, your Parkers, do you think Povetkin is like the best guy Dylan's had on his uh, record so far? Definitely, for sure. It's just, the, it's just his, 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 not only his resume, his, his amateur experience, you know, and uh, all of them things. He's, uh, he's, he's very, very... His IQ is is on it, you know. His IQ is, is on it. And he's got power as well. He's got speed, and uh, and he's got the the, the pedigree. So I'd, I'd say to date, this is Dillian's probably is uh, yeah for sure his most experienced fighter to date, and and you know because of his amateur pedigree, and you know he's, he was an Olympian and he's in his professional experience as well. Uh, we've got a bit of youth on him that gives us a, a little bit of the edge, so that that's a that's a good thing. Mark, be brutally honest here. Do you think uh, all going well against Alexander Povetkin and Dylan comes through that that Dylan gets that WBC title shot in February next year when he's promised to have it? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, otherwise, Mauricio Sulaiman is continually embarrassing himself and. Um, I think, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'd hope so. And, you know, I pray to God it, it, it happens if we get through Povetkin, for sure. Why not? It should do. And uh, I think uh, any of them fighters, any of them fights up there, whether it's Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, or um, Deontay Wilder, he's ready for him now, Dillian. He's ready for him. Of course, uh, we've spoken to Dylan so many times over God knows how many days it's been now about how frustrating this has been. But we haven't really spoke too much about this, Mark. Has it been on a personal level for yourself, you know, putting countless hours in the gym with Dylan day after day, that you're still waiting on the shot when, you know, there's an argument that you should have had it about a year ago already? How frustrating has it been for you, Mark? Well, listen, none of you's, none of you's, with all due respect, none of you's will know the journey that, that myself and Dillian White um, and, and you know, his, his closest members of his team that, that we've done. Um, since, I, since I started with Dillian, we was, uh, we'd done a spell at West Ham, we'd done a spell at um, the Peacock Gym, the private gym there. But we set up, Dillian set up camp in Loughborough University where I travelled continuously. Uh, for years, uh, I, I camped there as well, but I, I mainly travelled it. I had a lot going on in my own life. You know, my, my new baby was born, and uh, I had some deaths in the families. But I continued with my work with Dillian, regardless, and I uh, got my head down. And through that hard work uh, from Dillian and myself and uh, the businessmen and and a few members of the team, we um, we got results and we climbed our way to 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 the number one spot and it, it wasn't easy <laughs> it wasn't easy at all so 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 yeah um of course i'm disappointed with uh with mauricio Suleiman himself and watching him change the goalposts from time to time and um and watching how he, he communicates with dillian and 
you don't really mean it. It looks like to me. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. But um, I'm going to take one fight every time. I've, I've got me nut down with whoever's put in front of us. And I've gave my input, uh, regardless who, who we should fight at certain times. But Dillian's, uh, no one could be more disappointed and, um, than Dillian White himself and uh, what he's been through. And, you know, we've all been through there with it, with him. You know what I'm saying? So, of course, we are we're disappointed and uh, frustrated, but we we ain't going to drop our guard down now. We won't give up. We'll keep going and we'll do what it takes to, to, to you know, when it, when it comes, we'll do what it takes to get the result that we want. I think there is hopefully a good chance we'll see Dylan in with either Anthony or, or Tyson next year. Let me ask you this, Mark. Of course, uh, Tyson and Anthony are regarded as number one and number two in the world right now. Uh, they're seen as the best uh, of this era. If Dylan was to go in the ring with either Tyson and, or Anthony tomorrow, of course, they're, they're massive challenges. But what do you see as the, the easier challenge? If I know none of them is easier, but what's the more winnable fight in your mind when you're breaking it down for Dylan and seeing how to go about it? Anthony or Tyson? Well, for me, um, for me, they're both, they're both, they're all difficult fights at, at when you're world number one. But um, there's no preferences between, uh, there's no preferences from myself between uh, Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua. There are two different approaches, two different approaches to, to, to fighting them two different styles. And I'm very, very uh, confident and uh, in Dillian White um, adopting, adopting and adapting to the two different styles. I'll say that, say that with my hand on my heart. Um, it's just uh, getting him down to his right weight, Dillian that is, and uh, get him in the, in the right frame of mind and the right people around him. And he will do that with, uh, with, with, uh, with Tyson Fury and, um, Anthony Joshua and either or either of them, I haven't got a preference. Uh, you know, I really haven't, honestly, I haven't got a preference. But uh, he has to adapt. Uh, he has to adapt, and I, I, I'm confident he's competent in adapting to the to the to the style. But he's got to adapt, he's got to adopt and adapt from the get go. You know, from the get go. And uh, yeah, so that's it. I think. Uh, Probably the AJ would probably easier to make, I guess, wouldn't it? You think so, Umar? What do you think? Well, I think whoever's got a WBC belt. So you know, Fury and Joshua, we expect to be fighting for the WBC next year. If they, if Fury beats Wilder again, oh, Joshua yeah. beats Pulev. So whoever's got the BC, Dylan should have a shot at them next year. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, cool. cool. In terms of the first fight between Dylan and Anthony, uh, I know you weren't involved in that, but. Dylan was so raw in that fight, and so was Anthony to some degree. To be fair, um, how much do you think they've both developed? To be fair, Dylan and Anthony since then. For sure, they've they've, they've both developed without a doubt. Um, you know, looking back at the uh, the uh, Joshua Dylan White fight, uh, the professional fight. Um, for me, he he head hunted a little bit too much. He head hunted a little bit too much in that fight, and when he did clip AJ, he he, he looked a little bit novicey when he clipped him after he clipped him. But that's that's that that is through that, that that's because of you know where he was in his career, experience-wise. So 
if this time come again, although they've both moved on, um, I really feel that, with all due respect, uh, Anthony's, uh, you know, he's, 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 um, he's not got weaker, but we've seen, we've all seen some, 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 some weaknesses there in his in his later two fights, and with Dillian, he's just got stronger. In, in every area and that gives us it gives me more confidence in that fight if that was to happen for sure you see that night uh, obviously where Anthony lost uh, against Andy Ruiz last year do you believe if Dylan was in that ring with Anthony the outcome would have been the same where Dylan knocks Anthony out um, I don't really want to talk about that <laughs> Uh, it's not, it's pointless. It's pointless. Uh, I'm not saying I'm undervaluing your your question there, but you know it's irrelevant. What's happens happens. We're here where we're here right now, and uh, yeah. So you know, I don't really want to answer that question. If you don't mind, anymore. No, that's fine. Mark. That's fine. Um, uh, out of interest, who do you see winning that fight between Fury and Joshua? That's made. Fury and Joshua. Uh, Joshua's got a puncher's chance, but Fury's the better boxer. You know, I ain't got to tell you that. I ain't got to tell you that. Fury's the better natural boxer. Um, but AJ's got a puncher's chance. I mean, he's a proper, proper warrior, AJ, when it comes down to it. You know, I ain't got to tell you, tell you that. Heavyweight boxing, yourself, you know. So, but um, it'd be a good fight if it comes off <laughs> Joe, I couldn't put a it's anyone's fight it's anyone's fight you know it's, it all happens on the night it all happens about it's all, it's all about the you know having good camps and no injuries and things like that so it'd be a good fight if they both have brilliant camps it's going to be a brilliant brilliant fight and uh, that's the fight that that, that, that we want to see I guess just lastly Mark uh, how's Richard Reactport doing Richard Reactpo, yeah, I spoke to him um, a little while ago. He's in the great, he's in great, uh, he's in a great place in his head. He, he's, he, he's realistic about the situation, what's going on right now, but he's uh, he's looking after himself. Um, yeah, he's all right. He's all right. I'm getting excited about getting back to work with him as well, and uh, him trying to hopefully he'll uh, he'll defend that British title a couple of times, get some experience before he moves on. But yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, he's all right, Richard. He's good. We know Coley's expected uh, a world title shot when boxing's back. Do you think we're gearing towards next year a, a massive showdown between Coley and React Paul Mark? Uh, well, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. But um, yeah, why not? Of course, be a, be a great fight. Great, great British affair, definitely. Especially if he wins that title, be, be, be brilliant. Be brilliant. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for your time today. Uh, are you going to get out to Portugal again or are you going to stay uh, in London now? Well, I was expected out there this week. Uh, uh, you know, I was expected out this week. I've got a couple of things to sort out. Um, I should have them sorted out today um, in, in my, with, my, you know, with my business side of it. So hopefully um, we can, uh, I can get myself out there before the end of the week, for sure. Definitely. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's I been on this date, how this date is, but uh, 
we are we're all in the same boat, so we'll see. We'll see. Well, the the weather's definitely going to be better in Portugal than what it is in your background. So, yeah, I don't Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Mark, thanks for talking to us, and uh, we'll speak soon, all right? Take care. Thank you, Uma. Take care, mate. All the best. Bye. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL Team in association with MTK Global. I'm joined by Dean White. I know, Dean, last time we spoke uh, about your brother and the Povetkin fight and, and Joshua and Fury, potential fights next year, but I haven't talked to you about this Francis and Ghanu stuff. What do you make of all of it? Yeah. Well, do you know what? Obviously, we come from a kickboxing, that K1 Muay Thai background. Uh, Dylan had a MMA fight. You know, I come from wrestling and MMA background, so, you know, He's a fighting man, so, so obviously in him. And uh, to be honest, he's spoke about it for a while now, truth be told. You know, he's, he, he believes he can beat a lot of the top boys in that division, and uh, he's very vocal about it. Have you seen much of Ngannou in the UFC? I don't watch UFC personally. Ngannou means business. He, he's a big puncher. He's getting better and better. Um, do you know, but if you're talking about, like, striking, his striking is not going to be up to the likes of uh, Dillian's, you know, so... But I mean, he's, he's definitely not someone you're going to, you know, overlook because he has got that one-punch knockout power. He's clearly got a big profile as well. So commercially, I think this would make sense if it were to happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's raising, man. Come on, man. He's, um, he was on the rise for a while over there because he was getting a lot of knockouts and he was making waves until uh, Cormier um, put uh, pasture to all of that and uh, busted him up and that. And then... Um, yeah, and that was the end of the little, not the hype train, I wouldn't say, because he done he done extremely well coming from, you know, obscurity and then, you know, get, making a name for himself coming from Africa somewhere. I can't remember where he's exactly from at this minute, but um, he's done great for himself. Do you think it makes sense for Dylan, you know, after the Povetkin fight? You know, he's got that WBC shot, hopefully at either Joshua or Fury, whoever holds the belt. Do you think it makes sense to have this Francis Ugarni fight? You know, look, we saw what happened with the Floyd and uh, Conor McGregor fight. You know, those crossover fights, you know, they do great numbers. They, You know, it gets the juices flowing. It gets people thinking about stuff. Because, you know, you know, as a sport, as sports people, you do think about, you know, what if this and what if that. So, you know, it's, it's getting people talking. I mean, everyone's talking about it here and there. I mean, it's one of those ones like, um, obviously, he's in a position now. He's got Povetkin fight. Once that goes, he's in a position where he's going to be waiting for uh, the winner of the trilogy with Fury and Wilder. And then obviously there's talk of these are trying to make the unification fight with Anthony Joshua. He's meant to get his shot, but there's a possibility that they might try and push him out. So maybe that's what, what he's looking at, you know, uh, because of that. But I mean, I don't know. Listen, this, this, this boxing game is very finicky and tricky stuff. Um, and he's got to navigate the, the minefield. And that fight with Povetkin is no pushover by any stretch of the imagination. I know Povetkin's like 40 now, 41, but I mean, he showed his last fight against, against Hunter, the very young, uh, explosive, uh, the guy with 
energy for days, you know, he went in there and he nearly got him out of there. So, you know, we could see, you know, that there's still something left in the tank uh, from Provetkin. So, yeah, we're not going to, I wouldn't overlook him just yet. Dean, um, everyone's talking about Anthony Joshua at the moment. It's kind of gone from a, it's a national story, really, to be honest, at the moment. What he yeah. said at the uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Watford on the weekend. I'm sure you've seen the speech. What did you make of it, Dean? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I actually yeah, watched it. I watched it a few times. Um, I, I understand he was reading from a document that was passed to him. And uh, I don't, to, me, to be honest with you, I don't know. I think it's just been probably blown out of context by some people. Um, but I, I don't think I've heard that people saying that he's racist and stuff like that. But I know stretch of the imagination that I believe that. Um, you know, uh, I think he was trying to send a message across. And obviously, if some people read it wrong, you know, that's up to them. But um, I, I, I kind of... I kind of read into it a particular way. What was your thought on it? On it? What did, how did you perceive? Listen, I don't know um, whether that was his script or someone gave it to him. I, I'm not too sure. I've heard things that it, it, someone passed it to him. In the actual speech, I might be wrong, but I don't think he ever said, do not buy from non-black business. No, he, he, he didn't no, say no, what he actually said after... I'm not saying don't buy from anyone else, but what he's actually saying. So let me kind of break it down a little bit. So what I would say is this. I think he's more talking about unity in ourselves, in our own culture as blacks. You know what I mean? There's unity in any other culture, i.e. Indians, Pakistani, Chinese, Jews, wherever you are, Hindus, wherever you are, you know, there's, there's that. So what he was talking about, he's talking about more about economic growth in the black culture. It's, Do you understand? So, you know, try to support your own. There's not a lot of support. Sometimes we don't support our own um, in the, the smaller black business they have. So I think he was trying to get that message across. So the message to me was more about unity. And he's not just saying, oh, you know, don't support them. He actually said, you know, you can support other people also. But I mean, try to look closer to home. Try to support, try to build an economic growth in the black community where it will give more jobs to people. It will give more growth in finances to people where people can start to develop because in the, in the black community we've got an issue already with young black guys knife crime gang violence with trident and so on um and and people come from single parent homes and then then we've got the issue with what's going on in america with george floyd why all of this is all erupted and not just to mention george royce uh, um george floyd there's many names tamir rice sandra bland um What's the other guy's name? Eric Garner. There's many names, to, to, to name a few, why all of this has been blown. This was a melting pot for a long time to go on. So this is why people are talking about the Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. All Lives Matter, we all know that. And in boxing, is a very small community, but a great community. You know what I mean? So the people in it should really understand because there's many colours of people who people come and support. White supports Dillian's, white supports Joshua, Asian support. Joshua, Asia Sports, Dillian, Russian. It's, it's a great community in boxing we have. And it's very, very unique. We don't have it in many. This is one of the best sports in the world. In the UK, we have the best fans. So people need to understand. We need to unite. And the message for me is, he was more talking about uniting in terms of, you must try to unite with the issue on Black Lives Matter in terms of understanding what 
young black guys are going through, or even guys of culture, even if you're white or Russian or whatever you are, there's a culture here in the UK. And a lot of the young guys look very similar in dress code, how they talk, they listen to drill music. There's so much things, but what he was trying to say, as far as I was concerned, is that he wanted unity, unity, and to stop the violence and stop the looting. And he was um, you know, saying to people, all the looting, and the violence was not necessary. So, you, you know, I don't know. I felt people jumped the gun a little bit with it. I think for me, he, he's, he's born and raised in Watford and it's predominantly white. And I know he's got, look, his manager's white. He's got Eddie Hearn in the background. He's, so it's, it's a bit kind of weird people saying that. I understand he is a proud English, British, Nigerian, like I'm a proud English Jamaican, you know? So... At the end of the day, we're going to understand our heritage. We're not going to forget that. You know what I mean? So I believe if you looked in the crowd, there was white people, there was black people, there was brown people, there was Asian people. So there was many multicultural who understood and came in with unity with him and was on the, the journey and saying, listen, we need to stand up. In England, we're very fortunate. It's not as bad as America, but there is a big problem here in itself when you're talking about stop and search for a lot of young black people. I understand. You know, uh, you know, a lot of the crime that's been committed, there are young black people, but there are people with many cultures and who are doing stuff also. So I think it, for me, the message, I read it how I read it or thought what, what he was saying, I just perceived it as, you know, he was talking for me. I know everyone's, everyone's got an opinion based on something, but I think people need to go back and look. And if they check it again, you will clearly hear him saying, I don't advocate the violence, the looting, what I would like to see is, you know, people supporting black businesses, trying to build more of an economic growth for us black folks here. You understand? So maybe it will help the younger generations coming through um, and, and give, them, give them a foot up. You know, like, look, the Jewish, they, they, you know, they, 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 they've, they've done great in their economic growth. They, their money goes through their hand, what, 10, 12, 20, 30 times before it goes anywhere else. And we're not saying predominantly just go and buy go and buy a black that doesn't it's not going to work we're in a different time we're in 2020 right now the culture is you know we're all together we're it's all a big big unity but what he's talking about is we must try to implement some infrastructure to bring ourselves as black people and uplift do you understand because right now look a lot of the women when they go and do their nails they go they go to chinese shops when they buy hair products black hair products are being sold by you know, Indians or Pakistani. There's not a lot of black um, businesses, owners that are selling our own products. When we go to buy banana, yam, planting, people who know about these products, they're predominantly sold by people who are not from the Caribbean or Africa or anywhere that's predominantly black. So all it was is, I think it was more of a message to try and say, we need to think about that and try to think of a way, you know, because when you look at the, the, the culture at the minute, a lot of people eat Indian, they eat Turkish. I love Turkish. I love Indian. Uh, they, Lebanese. The culture is vast and amazing here. And when we're talking about boxing, like I said, I did an interview the other day. I can't think of anything more passionate and, uh, and great than what we've got here. Because when you go to the events, even for myself, it's amazing for me that the fans will chant my name when they see me. Dino, Dino, baby. T you know, like, it's, it, listen, it can't be beat. Do you know what I mean? So the family, the closeness, the bond, what we have, you know, people need to kind of try and get behind what we're saying and not think it's black versus white. It's definitely not that. 
It's not black versus the rest of the world. It's not that. We're just trying to make a standpoint and say, you know what, black lives matter. Everyone's life matters, of course. But at this juncture here, we want the support of people. If they're supporting in boxing, if they're behind us, let's try and get behind us. Whoever it is to say, listen, we're, in, we're all together. We're going for a pandemic together already. I don't even want to get on the pandemic side because that's, that's a whole other Pandora's box about what's going on there. But I mean, we all need to get together because obviously the police, the Metropolitan Police are here to serve and protect. And that sometimes they're not, it's just not blacks who's having the problems, there's whites having the problems. But we need to unite together and get our voices heard. And we need to, you know, try and come up with a solution for them to want to try and put in better practices for the officers to maybe conduct themselves um, and better and deal with people better as human beings. Because they don't, not being fine, not all officers are bad. Because I've met some good officers along the way when I was growing up. There was, you know, there's always one that was always good, really good. And then you have the ones who take their jobs very too seriously and have a big old chip on their shoulder, get out and they're ready to grab you, bend you up and restrain you straight away and talk down to you. And, and it's not cool because you're all human, you're, all, you're somebody. They're here to serve and protect. In America, they're taking it way, way too far. There's women who are pregnant, they stand on the floor. That Eric Garner, they choked him to death. They, you know, he said he couldn't breathe. Same as George Floyd, he couldn't breathe. And they persisted to put their knee in the back of his head. Listen, we could go on for days about this, but I just think the whole thing's been blown out a little bit out of proportion. I think Joshua's done amazing as a young black guy coming through and many others, uh, you know, not, I shouldn't even just say, many others, many others from any different backgrounds have made what the boxing is. Dillian, Chisora's, there's many people with different, even people coming from Ireland who have made a difference. Because back in the days, Barry, was it Barry McGuigan used to have an issue? Carl Frampton, there was, there was so many tensions in Northern Ireland and certain different parts of Ireland, you know what I mean? So for, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a community, a boxing community, because obviously they look, it's, it's majority of them, you've got people of football and stuff, but you know, I'm not into that. I do kind of support a little bit of football, but I'm saying us, you know, when you go to the crowd, you don't have any racist chants. You get people who are singing, are happy, are vibrant. And when they're out on the road, they see you, they say hello. And, and you know, I give everyone the time of day. And I think Joshua does. Even when you see him at his events, he, he gives these people the time of day and he stops, he shakes hands, he takes pictures. So I think people should really kind of maybe really go back and analyze what's actually being said and try and digest it a different way. Try and analyze it and break it down in a, in a rational sense and look at where, why it all started and then analyze what could he possibly be saying? What is the message in what he was saying? Try and dissect it that way. Don't just look at it because he said, don't buy, um, try and support black businesses and do, you, got, you can't just look at it like and take it for the word. You've got to read into what's going on and what's happening in the world today. We've never seen anything like this across the world. Nine or 10 billion or million people, billion people they were saying, marching in all states in America. They're on lockdown now. About 40 states have gone on lockdown. And um, look, in, in the UK, everywhere, Manchester, Birmingham, London, Bristol, everywhere is uniting. And, that's, and that says a lot. You know what I mean? There's a small pocket of people that um, maybe not seeing what's actually happening, understanding what we're trying to the message that is trying to be conveyed. You know what I mean? But I mean, for me, the boxing community is, is very intelligent. They're very smart, the guys in here. And I think they should, you know, look at what's gone on. Obviously, we've all, we've all come a long way. We've all come a long way. I mean, in boxing, because there was racism here many years ago. But I, right now, talking about just the guys in the crowd, the normal guy in the pub, the normal guy that comes up for you for a picture, 
those are the guys like myself who's in there walking around in the events, doing interviews like yourself also. We're the people that count, you know what I mean? We're the people that know, understand what goes on out there and what we have to deal with. There's people from different backgrounds that maybe never understand and seen and been through what we've been through, you know what I mean? So it, I just feel like, you know, they need to go and educate themselves on what's happening and maybe stop pointing the finger at maybe Joshua at the minute. I think that's very well said, Dean. Uh, listen, I won't take much of your time off. I know you've got a busy evening. You're interviewing Bob Aram tonight, uh, which I can tell you is always a good one. I know that first. And all right, Dean, yeah. thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak to you. And all right, take care. Yeah, listen, thanks very much. Right here back on behind the gloves with another news update keeping you guys up to date with all things boxing now yesterday i just reported on the floyd mayweather and conor mcgregor beef uh restarting you could say and today i've just seen this uh more news on floyd mayweather as i said i thought this guy i thought he was fully retired no more fighting gonna focus on coaching uh and start a legacy in his coaching career but Seems like you can't keep the man away from the ring. He's confirmed that he will be doing exhibition matches uh, overseas, he says. The last time we saw him was in Japan uh, doing a little exhibition match where he, he won in the first round, knocked the kid out, um, which was just uh, a bit mad. The kid was obviously very... Uh, different in weight compared to Floyd. But anyway, Floyd has confirmed that he will be returning back to the ring for exhibition matches. This is a video I've taken from a live stream that Floyd was on, and this is what he had to say. And there you have it, that's his confirmation. Who do you, do you think this is an exhibition where he fights someone we know, maybe someone in the boxing world, or is it just one of those where he'll go over to Japan and, uh, you know, do business over there, as I should say? Uh, what do you think? Who do you think it will be? And uh, what, what's your thoughts on this? Are you interested in the exhibition matches, or does it not bother you at all? Let me know in the comment section below and subscribe to our channel for all the latest content. Hey Fight Fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go ahead and download that. Bye Fight Fans. This is Omar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global. I'm joined by heavyweight contender Jarrell Big Baby Miller. How are we doing, Jarrell? 
No, I'm good, brother. I'm here, man. You know, hanging in like everybody else. Uh, have you been given a date by Bob Aaron Top Rank, Jarrell? Um, we're working on it right now. Nothing has been um, 100% confirmed yet. You know, what we're hearing about, uh, we're hearing about uh, July 8th. So I know we're waiting on that. You know, so we're gonna. We should know another week or so. You know exactly. Um, the opponent. You know, so uh, we're getting prepared though. It could be Carlos Taka, man. Yeah, man. We've been heard about Taka for a long time. Uh, I think it'll be a great fight coming back. You know, put him on his behind. You know, on to the next. You know, so uh, sooner the better. I bet you uh, you're glad you signed with Top Rank. Obviously, the first people bringing boxing back. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. Like I said before, you know, um, it's been great talking to Bob, and um, he's very uh, animated about uh, my return and figuring out what's the best road to take, and, uh, you know, I can't wait. Joe, let me ask you about uh, these crossover fights that we're hearing about. It seems like Dylan White and Francis and Garnier might get it on. What do you think about boxing and MMA crossing over? I mean, if it makes dollar, it makes sense. It's okay. You know what I mean? If you know, if, if you feel like you can get in there without any injuries and, you know, and uh, have a fun fight and get a good win out of it, so be it, you know. But, you know, MMA is a very dangerous sport, you know, and coming from a martial arts background, you know, a lot can happen in an MMA fight. Cuts and, you know, getting kicked and kneecap, all kind of crazy stuff. So, you know, it, it's it's it has to make sense, you know. And that makes money-wise and, God forbid, if you get an injury, you have time to recuperate. I asked you that because I know you're from that martial arts background. So would you ever consider an MMA fight? Maybe, you know, later down on in your career? Yeah, most definitely. I think if it make, if it make like I said, if it makes dollars, it makes sense. And uh, I'm able to do that, then I don't see why not, you know? Jero, uh, we're living in a bit of a crazy time at the moment where there's protests uh, across the world. There's loads uh, in London where I am, I'm sure, where yeah. you are. There's loads and we know every state has a protested and, and, you know, spoken up um, for what's going on at the moment. What are your thoughts on uh, what happened to George Floyd so tragically and uh, the event since, Jura? Yeah, I mean, listen, man, you know, police brutality is nothing new in the United States. You know, you know, racism is real. You know what I mean? I've, I've seen it and felt it firsthand for many times, you know, growing up in New York, growing up in Brooklyn, you know, but uh, you know, I have quite a few family members that's NYPD and corrections officers and and I always tell them you know it's a thin line you know and you have to be careful and just because I know you're part of a team you can't be involved in some of the BS they're doing because it becomes a point where it's a, where it's a, a moral thing not even that you're having the next guy back it's being moral you know what I mean you have a moral obligation to you know to serve and protect and you know and, and God or Allah is watching you sometimes say so you have to do what's right in the eyes you know what I mean you can't you can't just follow the masses because you know, this person's on your team. You got to do what's right. So, you know, it's crazy. You know, New York, the looting, the looting got a little crazy. You know, our last day of curfew was yesterday. You had to go off the streets a certain time. And um, it's nuts. You know, it's definitely been nuts. But, you know, sometimes you just have to separate yourself from negativity and constantly just pray and keep moving forward and do what's best for you and your family, you know, and, um, you know, and, and stand out against the oppression. But at the same time, you have to watch your back. As a black American, do you have hope in your heart that this situation with racism can get better one day? Yeah, most definitely. You know, most definitely, you know. And that's the goal that I've always had in mind when I become heavyweight champion of the world 
is to constantly speak about these things. You know, I've been very active in my community over the years. Yes, I'm trying to say in other, and especially other countries as well too. And it's only going to get deeper. You know, it's only going to get deeper. And hopefully that, you know, with the, with the more, the more as things get in the front lines, as we see in the media, and people of all color are standing uh, for the Black Black Lives Matter movement, that things will get better. You know, because it's not just Black Lives Matter. It's Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, all lives matter. And it's it a continual part of growth. You know, what I mean, we have to get the old Jim Crow people that still have that kind of mentality and, and, and the new generation that doesn't really think like that. And we want to see everybody live together and get along, you know? And then Joshua uh, did a speech uh, at a protest this weekend uh, in the UK, which has gathered a lot of media attention. Have you seen his speech firstly, Jerome? No, no, I have not. Okay, just to summarise the, the heat he's getting, he essentially said that black people need to support black businesses more. Uh, some mm. people interpret it that what should you not buy from white and, and brown businesses? Um, he never explicitly said that, but he said that we should support black community, black economics, black growth. What are your thoughts, mm. Mr. I think, you know, I, I have to agree to him on that because if you go to any other neighborhood, in, especially in Brooklyn, the Russians support the Russians. The Hispanics will support the Hispanics. You have the Jews support the Jews. But if you go to the the, the, the blacks, a lot of blacks don't support their local blacks. They go to the Jews, they go to the the, the Europeans or, or the white establishments and they can find a lot of things in the black community. Sometimes they say we don't support one another unless you're already big. That's what I'm trying to say. And he's 100% right on that. I feel like we do. That's the only way we're going to be able to get our respect is when we control our dollars. We control our dollars in the black community. We're some of the biggest um mass what's the word i'm looking for right now not producers we you know we 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 buy a lot yes we don't produce enough yes, i'm trying to say so once we change our dollars to producing then other than buying other people products that's just power that's power of the money and that's power that's part where the money goes to you know so we have to support one another you know what i mean you know what i mean and economic factor that is that the more that we buy from another, we can change and make direct changes in our community because we keep supporting other ethnic backgrounds and we're getting the lease out of it. What's going to happen to us? We, we, all our money goes out of the community. And it, it was a big study a long time ago that a Jewish dollar stays in the community for up to like 10 to 15 years before it leaves. Once a black, black community or black person gets a check by the end of the week, that money's gone, you know? So we have to really sit down and study our economics. And he's right on that. You know, he's not saying that as a, from a race standpoint. He's just saying you got to support your brothers and sisters like anybody else. You know, so you know I have to agree more on that. But a lot of people are going to try to scrutinize certain things you say. But on that point right there, what AJ's saying, I would have to agree. Jerome, moving on, uh, I saw on your Instagram story, I think it was yesterday, something about Deontay Wilder uh, mm. fight with Malik Scott, where mm. allegedly it was fixed. Um, what do you know about this, Jerome? Oh, well, I heard a couple of people hit me in my DM was like, there's supposed to be some kind of lawsuit or investigation. I don't know how true it is. It was just somebody tagged me on and I thought it was funny and I reposted it. So I don't know exactly how detailed it, it goes into on a, on, a, on a lawsuit attorney side. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even care, you know, but I thought it was just funny that, you know, it was like a phantom, a phantom right hand that hit Malik Scott and he went down, you know. So, you know, anything is possible. You know, I, I don't know for sure. But I thought it was funny. I mean, you as a reporter and investigator, you should do some digging into it, you know. But I don't know how deep it goes. I thought it was funny. Somebody tagged me on it and I just posted it. 
Jarrell, it's expected, you know, Tyson Fury comes through that third fight uh, after the, the second fight they had with Wilder. Mm. Um, let's say that situation occurs. I think a fight with you and Deontay Wilder makes sense, no? I think a lot of fights with me, a lot of fighters make sense, you know? Um, there's a lot of different avenues we can take right now. The main thing is getting in the rankings as soon as possible and picking, doing this strategically right now, um, having everything our P's and Q's and our I's dotted, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of different fights that can happen right now. You know, we heard about Manuel Char for the regular NBA belt that will get me right back in the mandatory position. It's a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different aspects. The main thing is sitting down with the team and figuring out what's the best, what's the best route to take. And then once we um, come up with the game plan, it's executed strongly and, and nonstop. Does that fight get you going though, that Deontay Wilder one? Almost definitely. Any any one of these top three guys get get me going, you know. I mean, it gets me fired up to hear their names, you know. But like I know, I said we have a lot of homework we've been doing, and we just want to get back and ring as soon as possible. We don't care who it is, where it's at. We want to knock somebody head off and prove to the fans and the people that Big Baby is 100% right, and we're doing anything about a book. And it, what happened the first time was a mistake, and you know, that's I'm a fighter. Hmm. What's the situation with uh, coronavirus there, like now? Because I know New York was horrific. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, man. It's all of a sudden we start rioting. And protesting, all of a sudden, there's no coronavirus. You know, I have a whole, I wouldn't say my own conspiracy on it, but a lot of things are made up around money. You know, rather it be to get everybody to take a vaccine or having uh, pharmaceutical companies that's, that's not making money to come up with a vaccine to make money. There's a lot of different conspiracies around it. All I know is that it slowed down a lot here in, in, in New York. And ever since we've been protesting, there hasn't been any new cases of it more than almost 48 hours, so 24 to 48 hours, so, you know, I God bless everybody that's still here. We did lose some people to it. Um, and um, New York is lively. You know, got a lot of kids right here in Brooklyn in front of me that's playing in the streets. So, you know, uh, I'm just happy to see people out having fun and trying to enjoy the day. Are you being extra cautious? Because I know you, you've got a fight date coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm doing the same exact thing I was doing, you know, gym, home, my son, my family. Um, you know, nothing really crazy, not a big group of people, you know, normally probably 10 to 15 guys, really, or 10 to 15 people, you know, I'm kind of still keeping my distance because, you know, we don't want to have any kind of mistakes, accidents, or nothing coming up with my fight, we want to get in the ring and handle business, so yeah, I'm keeping my distance to a point, but I'm not really in big crowds, you know, that's the main thing. Jarrell, before we end, have you just got a message to any heavyweights watching this video? Um, I'm coming with a vengeance from hell. You know, I'm coming with a vengeance from hell and everybody's going to get this work. Everybody's going to get this work. I don't care who it is. If Dylan White wants the smoke, we get the smoke. To Khan want the smoke, he get the smoke. It don't matter who it is, I'm coming for everybody's neck and I'm not having no mercy. Managers and promoters too. <laughs> All right, well, shout out to Damon and Wasserman for setting this up. Gerald Mirror, thank you very much for coming to IFL TV and uh, catch up with you soon, all right? All right, baby, Team Wasserman, let's go, baby. Welcome back to The Boxing Show. Time now to hear from the man in the corner on that special night 15 years ago. Ricky's trainer, Billy the Preacher Graham. Well, Matt Macklin caught up with him earlier on this week. I can feel it now. You know what I mean? I can feel it now. I remember it exactly. I'll tell you, I remember 
I remember we stood there, I forgot to tip me put my badge on. The same thing happened with the mayor of the fight, when I was with you walking to the mayor of the fight. I forgot to tip me, put my badge on, because I'd been warming Ricky up on the pads. And this official said to me, he, he said to me, I'm stood next to Kerry Kays, and he said, he said this to me, he said, um, do you know what? I, I, I should officially stop you from walking into that, walking into the ring now because you forgot your badge. Well, I can't say what I said to him, really, but... In the nicest possible way, you told him to jog on. <laughs> In the most horrible possible way, I told him to jog on. <laughs> so then, you know, the, the fight goes, the first few rounds, which you were nervous about, they're kind of oh. out of the way now. You're coming into that middle part of the fight. Can you remember... Can you remember what you were saying to Ricky in between the rounds at that time? Me and Ricky in the corner. Me and Ricky in the gym. Oh, we, we know each other. He, he, he can read me. He can read me as good as I can read him. Do you know what I mean? And everything's everything's prepared. Everything was... We talked about every possible, you know, outcome. Uh, every possible thing what could, hap what could have happened in the fight. Uh, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do that. But the first few, four rounds was really nerve-wracking. But Ricky, as usual, um, he was right up for it, you know what I mean? It's been a grueler. They're both knackered. It's going to be close oh, on the yeah. cards. You know, yeah. when, they, when then you realise the fight had been stopped and it's over and you've won and Ricky Hatton is the new number one man in the oh. division, take us back to how you felt. I, I just looked round to check to see if there's any like distress in the corner or something like that, you know what I mean? I just turned round and I seen Dave Palace just wave it off. I looked at Ricky. Um, I just said, it's over. <sighs> <laughs> uh, and that's why we do it. <laughs> You've done it. Look at Billy Graham. Great credit to him as well. What a job he's done with Ricky Hatton. This is a night that they will never forget in Manchester. We all got drunk and everything. And um, I remember I pulled up in my town in Mosley and there's a shop called Rajar's. And um, I I cut, because the shops was open by then, you know what I mean? It opens early, you know. And um, I went in the shop and I come out <clears throat> and these people clapping. Well, that's made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, Ricky. Uh, Billy, so emotional in that, that VT, wasn't he? How, how does that make you feel? Oh. <clears throat> The same, to be honest. I, I can't. Sometimes I can't. I can't watch it without um, crying. Me, 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 myself, and me and Billy were. We were like we were best mates. He wasn't wasn't just me training. He was, was best mates, and we we talked about that day for 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 so long, and not um, not just you know winning a world title, you know fighting the elite. The elite of, of fighters. I mean, Kosciuszko was the pound, pound for pound best, wasn't he? You know, I mean, it wasn't just the world championship we wanted to win. We wanted to be the best, the elite, fight the best in the elite. And um, 
And that was, you know, just accumulation of um, so many hard works of having to listen to people say, no, he's exciting, but he gets cut. He's exciting, but his defence isn't the best. Um, and it was like, it was like a big, polite two fingers up to everyone that had said, you can't do it, you can't do it. Because, you know, they were questioning my word and questioning Billy's word as a trainer, if you if you're thinking it from that um, point of view. And it was just like, you know, to, and it said that it would go down as one of the best wins ever in a, a British ring. And those are the fights that me and Billy talked about for 16 years of age, sat on that step at the gym in Salford about the fights we were going to be involved in and the people we were going to beat. And that was it. That was it. It was like, we did it. You know what I mean? And it's, I know there was fights on there on in after, you know, further down the line. But that was it, done, cemented, we done the job. And um, it, um, it was still 15 years on, still very, very emotional to, 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 to watch. Brilliant, brilliant. Totally understandable, Ricky. I'm going to bring in someone that you and Billy Graham know very well, our very own Matt Macklin. And Matt, let's just talk about that, that special partnership between Ricky and Billy. They just seem to know each other so well. They could read each other so well. Yeah, they were completely in sync. Um, they just really, you know, we talk about great fight, great trainers, and we always say, you know, great, certain trainers suit certain files, uh, certain fighters, and not just his, uh, his style of fighting, but his personality, they really suited. As he said, they were, you know, they were best mates. And, you know, Ricky training with Billy from 16 years of age really had that chance to kind of mold him, like Putty almost, to mold his style and to envisage where he was going to be and what kind of a fighter he would be when he, you know, reached his peak. And I really think that that night against Costa Sue, that was just the perfect night for both of them. I mean, Ricky, that, that was his finest hour, in my opinion. But tactically, technically, style-wise, Billy Graham, as a trainer, as a coach, he was made for Ricky Hatton, and Ricky Hatton was made for Billy Graham. Absolutely. Ricky, just, just talk us through the tactics on the night, because you executed the game plan perfectly. Yeah, Billy's not going to be too happy with me knocking him, knocking him on his ass there, is he? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but no um, you know, we had this unique bond, me and Billy. It's like, you know, whenever a, a fight was mentioned or an opponent was mentioned and, or the fight was made, you know, we, you know, I knew... I knew what he was thinking before and he knew what I was thinking and we both knew straight away. I just said, yeah, and this, and he said, yeah, and this, and that, and it was, it was unbelievable and he was, the tactics were absolutely bang on for the Kosha Zoo fight. I, you know, make make a fast start, you know, because obviously he's the older man and he's, because he's been knocking everybody out so quickly, make a fast start because he's not had plenty of rounds under his belt. But, you know, to stay safe as well, make a fast start, but try and stay safe and not take any chances. Because we made a fast start, so Kostya himself, after two rounds, knew he had to raise the tempo in order to, to stay with me, to stay with my work rate and my pace, which was really what we wanted to do. And he set into like a little bit of a, a rhythm, rounds three, four, five, six, seven, where he was putting rounds in the bank. And I felt in the corner that the fight was running away with me a little bit, that he was banking too many rounds. And I said to Billy, Billy, I said, these rounds are slipping away here. He said, but keep working on him, keep working on him. Eventually, you know, he'll break, you know what I mean? Eventually, he'll hit a brick wall. And Billy used to say to me each round, how does he feel? And I say, he still feels strong. And then rounds five, six, how does he feel? I say, a little bit less, Billy, a little bit less. Rounds eight, round now, how does he feel now? 
he feels weak as a kitten now, Bill. When now's the time you jump on him, Ricky. And um, and that's what I did. And it was hard, but I knew that that was my chance. When he started when he started feeling a little bit weak in the clinches rounds eight and nine, this was the, the game plan we worked on. This was this was the, the chance that I knew I had to get. I knew I could be a few rounds behind, but once he starts to dwindle, that's when I knew I had to put my foot on the gas and take advantage of it. And thankfully, that's what I was able to do. It was such a grueling fight, though, Ricky. Where did you find that extra gear? Well, I knew I might have to dig deep because I was in the corner and I was shaking my head and spat my gummy shield on the floor and I said, I've got nothing left. And Billy was saying, come on, Billy, Rick, don't you give me that rubbish. You know, this is the time. This is the fight we've worked for. We said that we were going to do it. This is the time. And now if you don't take advantage of this fight because he's gone now, you've got him. If you don't take advantage of this, you'll never forgive yourself. He said, don't be crying at it in 15 years' time when you're fat and old, which is pretty much what I am now. Don't be, <laughs> be sat there on your, your, your couch moaning and whinging about it when you can do something about it now. And I went, you know, come on, show the champion you are. And, and that's what I did. And I mean, I, was, I wasn't far behind Kostya. But because I knew that was my moment, even if he had a quit on his stool and he had to go out there for another round, I'd still find that extra. And, you know, I think that's what the good champions do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Can you remember the moment when Billy said the fight's over? The fight's over. And I thought, thank God for that. You know, and I jumped up. And, I hugged <laughs> him. and you could see I was just collapsed on me, on me back. I didn't have the strength to to even celebrate, you know, and Billy's picking me up as if to say, get up here, get up here, come here, come here. And I went, no, I haven't got the strength, you know, just, just, it's just emotional. And I started crying and um, I don't think we've, I don't think we've stopped crying since. And it was like, you couldn't have written. I mean, if I'd have got him with one of my trademark left hooks to the body or I'd have hit him with the left hook to the head and I'd have gotten out, he'd have gone down and I'd have knocked him out cold. It couldn't have, and it wouldn't have been as good an ending as it was on the night. You know, having a, such a formidable champion on his stool say, no more, please leave me alone, I've had enough. And then to do it in my home crowd of Manchester with the support behind me, um, like, like we had. And then if you remember, after the fight, I got the microphone congratulating Costa on what a great champion he was. And he got the mic and said, Ricky was the better man. You know, if you need any help in the future, Ricky, I'll always be there for you. You know, it's end of the rainbow, fairy tale tackle. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you couldn't write that. You couldn't write it. If you said to me, how could you want this fight to end? Him saying, leave me alone, no more in Manchester, quitting on his stool and was showing such wonderful sportsmanship after. That's what this game is all about for me. You became a British boxing great that night, didn't you? Just how much did that night change your life? Uh, it changed my life uh, massive. I don't think I've changed. I'm still the little Manchester scallywag I've always been. But um, <laughs> it did it did change my life. And I think what the, um, the unique thing was from that, they called that my Mount Everest. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, you know, yeah. once you've reached Mount Everest and that was your, your pinnacle, what you've done, you know, how are you going to go on from here? And, then, you know, I ended up winning four world titles in, in two weight divisions and fighting the likes of Mayweather and, and Pacquiao and Malinaji, Castillo, um, became a two-weight champion, you know what I mean? It's, you know, so even though that was my rainbow, I climbed Everest a few more times after that as well. And I think... Um, I think I'd have done better against Mayweather and Pacquiao if I hadn't have been such um, 
burnt the candle at both ends because Kerry Kays and Billy always said to me, one day you kept getting away with it, but one day your lifestyle will, will catch up with you. And I think when it comes to them two fights, I think it, it had caught up to me. But that night against Kostya Zhu, uh, with a referee that... When he was at a distance, let the fight flow. When he was close, let the fight flow. I think I'd have beat anyone that night, including Floyd. And people say, you know, I'm not saying I'm a better fighter at Floyd, but I think if I, the right tactics on the right night, at the right time, even the best can beat. And I think if I bought him that, fought him that night, I think I might have beat him. But who do you know? Well, do you know what, Ricky? It's much more to come from you. We're going to stay with us for the rest of the programme. More to come from you after the break. The phone just rang, so you might want to pick that one up. Um, also, we're going to be hearing from Frank Warren as well after the break. Stay with us. There are I'm not sure how many of you have seen this interview right here on the Pep Talk UK YouTube channel with Mickey Theo, but he is now claiming that John Fury got knocked out in a couple of bare knuckle fights back in the days when he was in his prime and his late 20s, early 30s, by some guy called David Campbell. He says that John Fury started on this David Campbell in a workshop, but it backfired, and John Fury ended up getting beaten up. He also claims that John Fury started on this David Campbell guy a second time, and it backfired again. John Fury came off second best. And then this David Campbell guy, according to Mickey Theo, turned up at a gypsy campsite looking for a third fight with John Fury, but John Fury refused to come out of the caravan that he was in. Again, this is all according to Mickey Theo. Now, John Fury, we all know, was a professional fighter back in the days, also had bare knuckle bouts and what have you, so he's a legit tough guy. Nobody's going to sit here and say John Fury is not a tough He's a tough guy. However, even tough guys know their limits, at least most of them. John Fury, over the past few years, since coming out of prison, really, has been acting like he has no limits, though, because he's been calling out Lennox Lewis, David Hay, Tony Bellew, Mike Tyson, Dana White. I mean, there's just no end of people who John Fury has been calling out. Now, Mickey Theo responded to John Fury's claim that he's the best 50-odd-year-old man in the world. And obviously he said he wanted to fight John Fury in a boxing ring. John Fury kind of flip-flopped on the idea of fighting Mickey Theo in a boxing ring. Last we heard from him, he wanted a bare knuckle. Uh, all in with Mickey Theo. And Mickey Theo's not going for that. Well, if John Fury's not interested in a boxing match with Mickey Theo, or Mickey Theo's not interested in a bare knuckle with John Fury then perhaps if John Fury is so desperate for a challenge, because he did say, I remember watching an interview of John Fury, I think it was around the time when his son fought Klitschko, either before or after. And he said he wished that there was something for elder retired fighters to be able to do by way of competition. You know, he wanted like, he talked about some kind of no holds barred, bare knuckle, all in a battle royale <laughs> for older retired fighters to be able to get involved in well if he doesn't have any worthy challenges for that is this uh, david campbell guy still alive is he still around is he free is he in jail like where is this david campbell guy did this even happen what mickey theo is describing is it even true i mean it's going to be difficult to verify because 
I mean, John Fury back in the days was really a club fighter by his own admission, a journeyman fighter. There was no internet back then. So information in terms of the personal life of somebody like John Fury from back then would be very difficult to get, right? It's not like today when there's internet and rumors and Twitter and all this kind of, no, would have been very difficult to get back then. The only way you would have heard about John Fury, you know, in terms of his personal life would have been through word of mouth. If you even knew him, moved in the same circles or just word of mouth, maybe in the traveler community, etc. Uh, so probably difficult to verify, but if anybody does have information on who this David Campbell guy is, or if they've heard this story before, then drop us a comment in the comment section below and let us know whether this is true or whether this is BS. I mean, it could very well be true. Yeah, you, you, you have, a, I mean, even let's say Mickey Theo's mentor, the uh, infamous Lenny McLean. Lenny McLean wrote a book and I actually read this book when I was a bouncer. I read the Lenny McLean book and it is full of all kinds of stories of him beating the living daylights of people in, out of people in bare knuckle fights. But many people, both when Lenny McLean was alive and after he died, called McLean out on a lot of his stories and said that he wasn't the governor of the UK. He did lose bare knuckle bouts because Lenny McLean, in his book, I swear, he claimed he never lost a bare knuckle bout. Whereas other people came out and said, actually, he did lose bare knuckle bouts and he lost uh, uh, several professional boxing matches and stuff like that. So even a tough guy like McLean embellished his story quite a bit, you know, or, or omitted certain facts from his story, okay? And the same could very well be true for John Fury. I mean, we know he got knocked out in the boxing ring by Henry Akin one day, and I think he was stopped uh, by somebody else as well. So who's to say he didn't get knocked out or beat up in bare knuckle bouts? Now, obviously, it sounds very plausible that he could have done, but this mythology has kind of built up around John Fury over the past few years because he's such an aggressive uh, character he talks so confidently and we can see where Tyson Fury gets a lot of his uh, personality traits from. But John Fury talks so aggressively and we know what he's done in a no-holds-barred fight which put him in prison for five years. So there's this aura, there's this mystique around John Fury that he's like the ultimate guy on the cobbles. Well, maybe he's not the ultimate guy on the cobbles and maybe he never was. I'm sure he can have it on the cobbles. Don't get it twisted. The guy can fight. Okay, he could fight then, he can fight now compared to the average man. But there may be other bare-knuckle fighters out there who didn't really see John Fury as a personal threat to them. Perhaps this David Campbell guy is one of them. According to Mickey Theo, he dealt with John Fury several times. So John Fury is a very prideful man and clearly still relishes combat. Well, he makes out as though he still relishes hand-to-hand -hand combat. Is this David Campbell guy available? You know, could he be someone worthy of fighting John Fury in any capacity? In a bare knuckle? In the ring? Because there's a story there. If what Mickey Fio was saying is true, John Fury has the chance to get revenge on this David Campbell uh, guy. And look, I'm not trying to encourage some old men to fight or anything like that. All I'm saying is John Fury seems 
so keen on calling everybody out from Mike Tyson to David Hay to Lennox Lewis to Tony Bellew and all these other people, well, maybe there's some other guy in his age range who's similarly keen to have a, a bare knuckle, you know? And perhaps that guy's David Campbell since there's a history there. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below if you've got any information on David Campbell. I'd be interested to read about him and see whether this stuff is actually true or not. And as far as the Mickey Theo situation, it looks to be dead in the water right now because John Fury hasn't responded since that infamous rant uh, where he said he wouldn't fight in a boxing ring. It would only be all in, no holes barred in his backyard or in Billy Joe Saunders' yard. So that looks to be going nowhere. Uh, some people have said that they wouldn't be surprised if John Fury confronts Mickey Theo at a boxing show somewhere. You know, him and some of his friends turn up at a boxing show and they just confront Mickey Theo face to face. Yeah, that could happen. Mickey Theo doesn't seem to be particularly concerned about that. And who's to say that Mickey Theo is going to be on his own if something like that did happen anyway? Maybe Mickey Theo's got an old school tough guy crew with him as well. Let me know what you guys think in the comments. I'm out. This is Omar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global via Zoom. I'm joined by Al Siesta. Some big news regarding yourself and Siesta boxing promotions today. Uh, UK fighters are back in action, not necessarily in the UK. Uh, they're back in action across Europe. I'm not even sure where in Europe. You want to tell us more, Al? Brother, first of all, thank you for having me. Since I made an announcement, my phone gone absolutely insane. Trust me, I had every manager I know ask me if I need more fights, what's going on, and blah, 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 blah. So I can't tell you about the location because it's television studios in Europe that I hired. Uh, we have all the facilities there, and I will be residing at that particular place for an entire month to supervise the project, and we'll have weekly shows starting from 9th of July. Uh, Yes, UK fighters are back in action. It's 12 of them so far. The first series will consist of four shows. Every week is one show on Thursday. And three fights, two 10-rounders and one 8-rounder. Everything is very, very competitive. As close as is possible. As close as the money can buy. Uh, the budgets are limited, I'll be honest. But the desire is big. And the important thing about this, that television, who is backing my project, specifically asked Al, refereeing and judging cannot be dodgy. If we'll see any dodginess, any biasness, it's all over. Because we are, when we're broadcasting boxing from abroad, which nothing to do with our TV channel, that's the executive telling me. When the refereeing is dodgy, we lose subscribers on the channel. That's how bad it is. So please make sure you are absolutely unbiased. And I said, man, if you speak to people in the UK, that's what Siesta advocates, 50-50 and fans. So I can reassure British fighters that they're not going abroad. They're going, it, it will be, the judging will be as good as at home, if not better. Let me just get the poster up. I don't know how well people can see this. 
Yeah, I don't know how it's going to come out, but it's called, I, it's called Cold Wars. Uh, so it's going to involve British fighters and Russian fighters. Um, no other fighters from any other national league will be involved. Is that correct? No, Russians against Brits. Okay. How's it going to logistically work then with, with flights and hotels, etc.? From 1st of July, uh, entire Europe is open. Okay. And it's open uh, completely in terms of you don't have to self-isolate. In fact, I think they are thinking to uh, cancel the COVID-19 testing after 1st of July because there's a new study apparently that it's actually quite passive. And people with uh, symptoms such as coughs, temperatures, and so on and so forth, that's those kind of people are contagious. So it's something in between AIDS and flu at the moment. So they can't uh, make up their mind. But at the end of the day, people are tired. People are cautious. People are aware of pandemic. And people are taking all necessary steps to protect themselves, hence masks and social distancing. And um, I think with that awareness, we can gradually step back to the normal life, if you know what I mean. So I can imagine after 1st of July, in God's will, everything will be possible if we can actually move across other countries in Europe, for example. What was the deciding factor from going from July 9th? Because some people may say, oh, that's quite early. We know Frank and Eddie are going on July 25th in this country. Um, why July 9th? Uh, first of all, UK had pandemic quite badly. Also, the government reacted pretty late. Uh, British Boxing Board of Control are very professional and hence very cautious organization. They think that it won't be safe to contemplate about any live events despite crowds or no crowds earlier than 15th of July. But European federations such as or Latvian, Lithuanian, Polish, uh, Hungarian, and so on and so forth, they are all open from 1st of July to trade. And uh, there are shows could be held behind closed doors from 1st of July and onwards everywhere in Europe, as Germany proved uh, with Bundesliga. You saw it for yourself. So Europe is a little bit more advanced and moving slightly forward in terms of pandemic to us. What was the reaction like, especially from the British fighters, you know, when you told them this opportunity was going to arise and, and the ones that are in the tournament, uh, how are they feeling about travelling to Europe to fight? I think uh, they were very pleased that the offer came from me because many of the guys on the underground, I mean, people will, will be surprised how tight is my relationship with the British fighting scene. So, for example, if someone would question that I could match UK fighters, and saying, oh, CST is a one-trick pony. He can only work with a foreign opponent. Actually, my knowledge and my relationship internally inside the United Kingdom is impeccable. I love the guys. I've got over 800 numbers in my telephone of fighters or managers or uh, trainers, so we can communicate. And they were very pleased, and they trust me, and they said, oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. The persons were decent. They weren't obscene or they obviously will, will not be able to compare with the big monopoly promoters. We know who we're talking about, but they are there or they are about. And I am giving the opportunity to people to travel in the conditions where they will be judged fairly. They will be supported by me. They've got my personal word that I will protect them from dodgy decisions and they can fight and showcase their talent 
on the European stage. Oh, you mentioned uh, there isn't going to be any 12-rounders. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Right. Yes, correct. So what, what kind of, obviously, we're not expecting top, top UK fighters to enter that tournament, but what kind of level? English, you know, Southern area level fighters? It's, it's, it's above Southern area. It's, I'd say it's a British, it's a local, good local boxing scene level. Uh, say, for example, Andre Sirotkin, who recently fought with John Varidis and Wolf, one of the cards. And so has Dex Spellman, for example. So um, this is the level we're talking about. It's highly competitive. I mean, we've got obscene fights. We've got 3-0 fighting, 12-0. And, and um, Russians are crazy, as you know. There's new prospects. They're ready to fight. They're ready to showcase. Uh, there are some Russian gatekeepers are fighting good Brits. So it's evenly matched. I can't say that I favored Russians towards a win. Everyone has an equal chance and opportunity. So, for example, I know a Russian kid who's 4-1-1 one one fighting 12-0 British kid. So, and I know the Russian kid who's 3-0 fighting 12-2 British kid. You know? So, are, these are good fights. The reason why I don't have 12-rounders, I've just been very respectful to the fact that the guys didn't have proper camps. They were on the lockdown. All they could is kick the, uh, the bags on the back of their gardens and stuff. So I thought 10 rounds, it will be just about enough to have a good competitive fight and have a championship feel, if you know what I mean. Two questions into one here. Is there uh, a wide variation of weight classes? And secondly, is there any heavyweight matchups? No heavyweight matchups yet. I might keep that. If the series will become popular, which I feel they could be, then I bring some really good matchups and start bringing the names. So far, uh, the heaviest match I have is a light heavyweight, and the lightest matchup I have is a lightweight, and all in between. So, really nice, fantastic working. Got super welterweight, lightweight, uh, middleweight, super middleweight, light heavyweight. So, it's brilliant. So how many fights will there be uh, per night? Three fights, uh, two 10-rounders, maybe 13-rounder. Like first 9th of July event is three 10-rounders. And uh, I have a float in case there's a stoppages. And also I have two preliminary prospect fights from the country where the events will take place that will be aired on local television but will not be aired in the UK and Russian and European networks. Uh, only three main fights will be aired live on all other networks. What's the uh, date, sorry, just to come, July 9th, and then what the other July three? 9th is the first battle, and battle second is the 16th, then it's 23rd, and it's the 30th of okay. July. What's the situation if a fighter tests positive for COVID? Are you going to have testing in place? Yes, I have testing in place. Uh, we will try to do it in the UK. And if the legislation of the country where we're going to is such as the testing is not necessary, I will not force the testing. I'll be honest, because uh, the politicians and the medical advisors of the country know better than I do. And because if you know me, I've got very firm opinion about COVID-19, which I wouldn't face, I wouldn't uh, voice right now. And, um, but if the testing is necessary, I have all the facilities. I spoke to the hospitals. I've got all the kits. I've got the um, very fast services in terms of test the fighters and confirm. Um, 
their condition and I got backup fights if required. All right, that answers my, my question about any pullouts, etc. You've got back, backup fighters there. Absolutely. In terms of the main fights you talked about, the, the three main fights per night, how can fans in the UK watch this out? Right. Uh, I had the events been discussed and prepared over six weeks. So in, in, in this period of time, I had three offers from major UK um, online and media outfits, I say that, for streaming possibilities. But I am thinking, contemplating, and weighing everything to understand, to make it viable, not only for my own business and CS the boxing business, also for the British boxing fans and the, British, and, and the fans worldwide. What is the best option and how I can make it work so I can sustain the longevity and improve the broadcasts and make it better series after series after series. You understand what I'm trying to say? Because I am a man who wants to give opportunity to the fighters that don't get chances to fight with the major promoters. And maybe one day we will discover some star, you know, or I just want to give exciting fights because I am a hardcore boxing fan myself. So I would like to put something on what I'd like to see myself. Al, of course, we're starved for boxing content and fights at the moment. Um, it was, you know, announced that Marius Vac v. Kevin Johnson, which I think is fair to say any normal given day would definitely not be on pay-per-view, but it, it is going to be on pay-per-view. So is there a possibility your fights could be on pay-per-view because there is just no boxing on at the moment? There are possibilities to go on pay-per-view, but I don't like to call, to call it a pay-per-view. I would like to fund, because I'm just calculating, and I know the funds that have gone into organizing all these events. And again, this is the Siesta Boxing Special Savings Reserves and additional funding from the Russian TV channel, who is very, very hesitant in order to help because boxing, as you know, has been very stale in Eastern Europe in terms of broadcasters. And the reason for that, it's very obscure, judging, refereeing, rating system, and so on and so forth. They, they just can't understand why certain fighters get opportunities and others don't. So I have to prove to Eastern European partners that this is the worthy concept to work on. So it could be, you know, it will be crossbreed between pay-per-view and go and fund me campaign from the hardcore boxing fans, because guys, I'm your promoter. Let's vote which fights we want to see together. Let's try to make it happen. I don't have BT Sports or Sky Boxing or DAZN or ESPN Boxing deal. I'm, I'm a man who knows about boxing, how to make fights, how to navigate fighters to the very top. But unfortunately, I'm a man who doesn't have backing yet from those major networks. So I'm just trying to make the best what I can with my own financial resources. So therefore, people, hardcore boxing fans, I need your help. And let's work together. And hopefully, I'll make it worthwhile for you. I can't see it will be, it will be more expensive than something like 599. No way. I, I cannot bring to have, like I heard people want to do nine, uh, 999 and 10 pounds. I can't. So if it goes pay-per-view, I will offer the exceptional deals on early birds and purchase all for, for, for events up front and so on and so forth. So I am calculating. My P&L at the moment doesn't adapt, but it doesn't adapt in here, but it adapts here. It's, it, you understand what I'm saying? So I want to see these events and I'll make sure they're happening. 
Well, Al, best of luck with it. Um, look forward. Thank you. Just, just before I let you go, a couple of things. Any updates on um, Chris Conger and Luther Clay, your man Luther? Yes, uh, I spoke to both guys. They are in camp. They're training. They're hoping to come out in August. I haven't heard from Eddie Hearn, believe me or not. Uh, hopefully, I will hear from him from, uh, very soon. Uh, I just saw some tweets about he had his birthday yesterday. So, happy birthday, Ed. Uh, I didn't know it. I mean, welcome to 40s. I know you're 40s or you're 41. It's beautiful times. You've got you, you're on your peak. So, this, this, the sky is your limit, and I wish you all the best and your family. Um, so, um, yeah, as far as I know, the fight is on. Everyone is buzzing. Luther is back to the dog mode. And he's ready, so he's all great, man. And in terms of the matrim fight camp that Eddie's doing in the back garden, um, have you been involved much? Are you working on it, Al? Um, no, I haven't been asked to do any matching for matrim, although I donated three fights already towards that card without them even knowing about it. So, um, and they know the fights I'm talking about. They will put over the cuff by me in the moment of boredom, and, and got presented to Matchroom, and I think they're great. I think they're great. So, all good. All right, Elsiester, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck uh, with the, the four separate cards you're going to put on. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go? I'd like to add, guys, I really need your support. I love you. I was missing boxing as much as you, you were. So, let's make it happen together. I will keep you updated where it will be aired, how we're going to do it, who with, what partners, what sponsors, and so on and so forth. I will give you every single detail about this event so you know exactly what's happening. I mean, let's look forward to it. I'll be working for you very hard, guys. Thank you. Omar, thank you to IFL as well for having me. No worries, Al. Take care. Speak soon. Thank you, man. God bless you, man. Bye-bye.